Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker, and on today's podcast, we're continuing our 2021 preview of the Falcons roster. Today, we're talking about wide receivers. Uh, This one should be fun because of the drama around this position in the offseason. In some ways, I'm dreading talking about this position group, but it should be fun uh, as we bring in uh, our guest, a fellow editor at The Falcoholic. He is also the host of Falcoholic Live. Um, you've heard his voice on this podcast many times before, the one and only Kevin Knight. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back on, DW. You know, like we said on the last Falcoholic Live, it's a very tit-for-tat relationship, you know, between the two <laughs> shows. It's, you know, you come on my show, I come on your show, you come on my show. You know, we got to keep it flowing, you know, to it's, help each other out. So It's part of the symbiosis that we yes. experience at the site. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Kevin, you've, you've covered, uh, I think, almost every single position now with your ongoing articles at the site. Um, this one, I think, is pretty interesting because... Uh, going into the offseason, many of us thought, oh, hey, this is going to be, you know, one of the most talented groups uh, on the roster. And, you know, it's amazing how losing one player changes sort of the outlook of that. And um, obviously, we're talking about uh, the trade of Julio Jones. Um, I, I don't want to speak about that. Uh, we've already, I think, exhausted that topic at this point. Uh, we're sad to see him go, but we have to play with the guys who are on the roster. And that's where our conversation is going to start. Um, let's start at the top, the guy who takes over. Uh, and, and I, I feel like using that terminology saying that he takes over, uh, is sort of unfair to Calvin Ridley because, um, and I want to get your take on this in my mind, he's not Julio 2.0. Um, it, it, to be blunt, it's hard to find a receiver that is built like Julio that has, you know, the, the, the physical talent, the physical stature, the speed, um, the ability to run the entire route tree. And yet at the same time, I don't think that should take away at all from who Calvin really is. Cause he is a, a phenomenal receiver. I think he is a true wide receiver one in this league, even if he is not uh, the re- true quote unquote replacement for Julio Jones. Um, so talk a little bit about Ridley and, and his, uh, I guess his ascension to that top role this year. Yeah. I mean, Ridley's very different kind of receiver than Julio um just you know the fact that he's not literally the best wide receiver in the NFL and one of the most ridiculous athletes we've ever seen you know Julio <laughs> was running in the four threes with a broken foot and all this like it, it's not fair to ask Ridley to be that um and I don't think the Falcons are going to do that he, he's a different right. kind of receiver he's you know fairly modest in terms of build um but very fast in terms of long speed, great change of direction ability, and his route running is elite. And that that's kind of how he's he's made yeah. his hay. Um, really was unlocked as a deep threat last year for uh, Dirk Cutter's offense, which, as we all know, you know, uses the deep ball perhaps even too much. Uh, <laughs> uh, but 
He's great at the deep ball. He's great. At, I mean, he can run any route in the book and he's just elite at it. Um, and that is very valuable. That's absolutely a wide receiver one. He doesn't win in all the same ways Julio does. He's not going to high point the ball and just right. physically dominate opponents, but he doesn't need to. Um, we saw without Julio Jones in the lineup for most of last season that Calvin Ridley was absolutely capable of, of carrying the load without Julio. Um, he could handle number one corners. He just wins in different ways. And I, you know, I, I think the, he's going to get obviously compared to Julio because of the fact that Julio has gone and now he's here and taking over that lead role. But other than the fact that they're going to be the primary receiving target for their respective teams, you know, there's not necessarily that much that the two share in common. I mean, Julio, I think started out being like a good, but not great route runner and really improved that part of his game throughout his career. But uh, Calvin Ridley's already there. I mean, he's one of the best route runners in the NFL. Uh, He's got, you know, not Julio Jones athleticism, but still very good athleticism. And, um, you know, I think Ridley is a player that wins more with his football intelligence and, and his savvy and smoothness, as opposed to Julio, who just early on, especially just dominated people with his overwhelming size and speed. And um, both are very good weapons to have. They're just going to a little bit different in terms of how they get it done. Yeah. And, and I liken uh, this to the transition from Roddy White to Julio Jones. Roddy was a different receiver in his own right. And, you know, I don't think it takes away from Roddy at all uh, in what he was, you know, to this team as wide receiver one for all those years before uh, 2011 came along. And especially, you know, 2008 through 2010 uh, and what he meant to Matt Ryan as the top receiver uh, on the team. So it, it, I see it in the same light. You're not going to necessarily transition to the same kind of receiver um, at the end of each one's career. And frankly, the Falcons have been quite fortunate uh, that their luck with wide receivers has gone this well for so long, you know, to go from a, a Roddy White, who was a very good wide receiver one, um, to go to essentially a Hall of Fame receiver in Julio Jones, and now to transition yet again to another very capable wide receiver one and Calvin Ridley. This is a great problem to have. And, you know, ideally uh, Julio would still be here, but uh, falling back to Calvin as wide receiver one is not in my mind, uh, the, the downgrade that some people are making it out to be. I've heard some people say uh, Calvin's only a wide receiver too. And I, I think that's sort of preposterous uh, on its face. As you mentioned, when, yeah. when Julio was out last year, uh, uh, Ridley demonstrated that he can perform and, and does not need to have Julio on the other side to be successful. Um, speaking of the other side, the, the next player in line, um, this guy is interesting because his career, uh, I think, took a trajectory many of us weren't expecting. Um, when he was drafted, the thought was initially this guy is going to probably you know, cut his teeth almost uh, exclusively on, on special teams. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about uh, Russell Gage uh, out of LSU. Yep. This will be his fourth year, last year on the contract, um, which could be a factor uh, for him. Obviously, you know, he wants to get another payday, whether that's with the Falcons or not, uh, I think is going to be a big question. It'll be answered uh, through the 16, <laughs> 17 games this year. Pardon me. <laughs> yeah. Good luck getting used to that. <laughs> yeah. It's tripping us all up. Even the, the professional writers are getting uh, tripped up on that one. Um, but here, here's what stands out to me. His stats. All right. 2018, six receptions, 63 yards, um, no touchdowns. 2019, 49 receptions, big upgrade, 446 yards, uh, one touchdown. 2020, 72 receptions, (laughs) 786 yards, four touchdowns. And 
uh, you know, roughly somewhere in the 10 yards uh, per reception average, uh, which is, you know, decent for a, a guy who's uh, in that role. Um, his growth has been uh, just something to behold. And I, I think the one thing that stands out to me is, uh, and I've spoken with uh, Aaron Freeman in the past, and one thing that he has always mentioned is, uh, you know, I trust what Matt Ryan is telling us on the field. And Matt Ryan likes to throw it to Russell Gage. Russell Gage was targeted a lot last year on third down. Mm -hmm. And that is the money down for quarterbacks, um, which shows that Ryan likes what he sees out of Gage. Uh, So with that in mind, what are your thoughts on Gage essentially now elevating to wide receiver two as sort of the de facto? Is he ready for that role? Do you feel like he is ready for that next step in his career in his fourth year? Yeah, it's really interesting to see how they're going to deploy the wide receivers because, like you said, Gage has really come on. Ryan clearly trusts him where he's had his successes in the slot, and Arthur Smith hasn't been a coach that is overly reliant on 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers for those that don't know. Um, Arthur Smith runs 12 personnel, and I, I suspect he's going to run two tight end sets, which is 12 also. Uh like the most of any potentially the most of any offense in the league this year because of who the Falcons have there. Absolutely. Um, But, and you would think that would mean, okay, well, there's no slot receiver if you're running 12 because you know, you have two tight ends, but I think people maybe are underestimating the fact that Kyle Pitts is likely to line up as an outside wide receiver a fair amount of the time, which means that while it's technically going to be 12 personnel because Kyle Pitts is officially a tight end, um, Gage could still be in the slot in that package as the second wide receiver without being on the outside. And um, that is something I think that is very creative. And I think that's something Arthur Smith is willing to do to maximize what he has on this offense. But at the end of the day, I think Gage, you know, it would be nice if he could show something on the outside. I don't his his size profile isn't necessarily prohibitive to to playing on the outside. I mean, he's not that much smaller than Calvin Ridley, but right. um, most of his successes come from the slot. So if he can add outside reps to his repertoire uh, and become a, a more well-rounded receiver in terms of where he can play, you know, that would certainly help his ability to to get more looks in this Arthur Smith offense. But again, I, I think he's still likely to be the, the second most targeted wide receiver on the offense. I think he's going to have a very healthy target share, even if he is just the slot receiver. Um, you know, the, the big question is like, how important is the slot receiver in Arthur Smith's offense? Um you know, they, they did spend a lot of money last year in Tennessee on Adam Humphreys, who didn't really end up having that big of a role for them. So it's kind of a curious decision, but um, you know, I think if Gage does have another really good year, similar to last year, he's going to demand, you know, significant money, not like number one wide receiver money, but you know, five, 8 million a year, something like that. And I don't know that the Falcons are going to be willing to dedicate that to the slot receiver in an offense. that's going to be primarily two tight end sets. So, um, you know, his long-term future with the team, I think is in doubt only because of the fact that the slot receiver is probably not as emphasized in this offense, as opposed to, you know, an 11 personnel heavy offense. But, um, I think he's he's certainly going to be auditioning at worst for for a strong role with another team. And um, the Falcons are probably hoping that he has a great season and is able to fetch, you know, a huge contract from some other team and net the Falcons, you know, uh, potentially a, a comp pick. late day two comp pick, you yeah. know, early day three comp pick more likely. But 
Um, you know, I, I think that's an underrated aspect of the whole roster construction this year that, you know, is probably a topic for another show, but, um, you know, I think they're hoping to load up on comp picks going yep. into 2023 and Russell Gage is one of the big ones to watch for that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, and it's not that I don't want the team to find a way to keep Russell Gage, but to your right, point, right. Uh, he's at this point, I think we know he's, as you mentioned, he really hasn't shown that he's much of an outside guy. Uh, and it's, as you pointed out, he's like one inch shorter than Calvin Ridley officially. I think, I think Calvin's actually a little bit closer to six, two than six, one. Um, but, uh, realistically, you know, and I love Gage, I love what he does, uh, uh offensively, but I think if he has a big season, I can't imagine the team's going to break the bank to keep him. Um, and, and there have been questions from some fans of whether he really is a true, uh, wide receiver too. And I think it's a fair question. You know, he, he's excelled as sort of that third option uh, for, for his time in Atlanta. Um, you know, even last year, as he racked up those yards, a lot of that was volume because the Falcons were passing a lot simply because, well, number one, they're a cutter. <laughs> they're cutter and yeah. number two, they were behind uh, quite frequently in games. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he, he was going to rack up stats simply from volume, uh, but he, he did it. So, you know, he deserves that credit. Um, all right. As we go a little bit further down the roster, this is where obviously the questions begin to open up. Um, coming in, we sort of thought, hey, top three positions are, are cemented um, and they made sense. You know, you had a top tier wide receiver two in Calvin Ridley, a, a good wide receiver three in Russell Gage. Um, but now that's shifted. Everyone's moved up a slot and it means that wide receiver three is sort of wide open. Now, I want to point out and I'm sure you've seen the same thing, Kevin, that last year in Arthur Smith's offense in uh, Tennessee, wide receiver three uh, was actually targeted less than tight end number two in, yeah. um, in Arthur Smith's offense. So I, I think when it comes to wide receiver three, uh, you know, in the, some traditional offenses, uh, yeah, it's a very important position, but the, the wide receiver three was targeted less than their second tight end. Um, yep last year. And I think that could very well be the case this year, but in your mind, who are the names to watch out for as that third receiver that, that, you know, purely from a snap standpoint in the reception standpoint, who's going to come in behind Ridley and Gage in your mind? Yeah, I think there's three names to watch for wide receiver three right now. Um, Alameda Zacchaeus is my current favorite just because I think, you know, his undrafted status, I think maybe colors his perception a little bit, but he is very talented. Um, probably shouldn't have been undrafted. If you look at his college right. production, you know, this was a number one wide receiver in college who's probably better suited, you know, to a wide receiver, three wide receiver four sort of role in the NFL. But, um, you know, wide receivers so stacked every year now that you're going to get good wide receivers in undrafted free agency that can fill out your roster. So mm -hmm. shouldn't hold that against him. Um, Tajay Sharp is another one. Um, Sharp has by far the most size of any option on the Falcons roster. I think he will factor in uh, as a short yardage red zone sort of guy. He can play the slot too. Um, so he's someone to watch there, has a history with Arthur Smith as well. And then rookie Frank Darby, who apparently the coaching staff really likes, uh, the players really like. I know um, JV and Hawkins, the undrafted running back, came on the show and <laughs> said that Frank Darby was by far the most funny player on the team and just a guy that was just a real blast to have around as a teammate. So he's making a lot of uh, friends and uh, uh, making a name for himself out there. Um, so, you know, as a draft pick, he's certainly someone that you think the team would be trying to get on the field 
but he's a little bit of a wild card considering, you know, he missed most of his final season and um, it was COVID shortened to begin with. So don't really know too much about what his sort of role will be this year. But uh, yeah, I would say Zacchaeus, Sharp and Darby are the three that are really seriously competing for. Obviously, there's a bunch more names, but I think those are the three names to really watch going into training camp in the preseason here. Yep, absolutely. And those three names are the ones we're going to sort of dive into a little bit more uh, and talk about some of the guys who are sort of on the fringe that could uh, push into a final roster spot and even the composition of the roster. Will the Falcons go with six? Will they go with five? Uh, We'll talk about that. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are... It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined, of course, by fellow editor at the site, Kevin Knight. We're talking about the wide receiver group this year for the Falcons in the 2021 season. Uh, we've talked about the top two guys in the uh, the absence of Julio Jones this year and losing him uh, via trade to the, to the Tennessee Titans. I still am bitter about that, Uh, (laughs) but uh, here we are. So we've talked about Calvin Ridley, uh, Russell Gage, what they have to offer. uh, And these guys, now you mentioned the three names that uh, could potentially compete for that wide receiver three spot. And Alameda Zacchaeus was the first name that came up and this will be his fourth year. Uh, he is someone that has contributed on this team in the past, uh, under uh, primarily under Dirk Cutter. I think he had one year with uh, as his rookie year when he was with uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And uh, Ryan has has targeted him at times. Uh, he doesn't have uh, an extensive resume as far as receptions, um, but he is a player that, as you mentioned, uh, went undrafted, but arguably could have been you know a day three pick. Uh, in uh, I think your point is very valid. It, wide receiver has suddenly become a position with a tremendous amount of depth. It seems like every single year in the draft, we're, we're seeing guys fall to day three or completely get undrafted that in prior years would have been guys easily taken the fourth, fifth round uh, simply because of lack of depth at the position. Um, what about Zacchaeus makes you think that, it, it, you know, he's five, eight, he's not the biggest receiver in the world. What makes you think that he's ready or of the guys that are left, uh, which again, the depth here is is maybe a little bit concerning for some fans. But what makes you think he's ready for that spot as as the third most targeted wide receiver? Keeping in mind that uh, we're probably going to see some tight ends get uh, pick up a lot of targets this year under Arthur Smith. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have to look up when he actually became an undrafted free agent because now that you said that, I'm like forgetting. 
I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019, but it was, you know, either three, this is either his third or fourth year. So he has some NFL experience to lean on, obviously at Virginia played a very versatile role. Um, you know, he was, he did line up as a running back. Sometimes he did a lot of gadgety stuff. Um, so this is a guy that was basically a Jack of all trades that Virginia basically used him as everything. Like he was their, their main offensive weapon had over 1100 yards from scrimmage in his senior season. Um, you know, almost 1100 of that was, uh, receiving, but he did have, you know, he averaged 5.2 yards per carry on his, you know, 20 or so attempts that he had as well. Um, so this is a guy that, that was, you know, better than you'd expect in terms of someone who goes undrafted, uh, because, you know, playing at a power five program in Virginia, um, getting over a thousand yards, you know, usually these guys find a way to get drafted. Uh, he had nine receiving touchdowns as well. So, um, you <laughs> know, kind of confused. He came out in 2019 this? to clarify. This will okay, be, his, yeah, this yeah. will be his third year. So I was, okay. I, was misspe- uh, I was incorrect. Yeah. I was like, wait, was he here with Sark? I was like, oh, wow. He must have like given even more, you know, concerns about what's going on there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, you know, probably the main reason he didn't get drafted, uh, he's five, eight. Um, yeah. so, you know, five, eight, is basically the cutoff for like receivers having any success in the NFL. I think, you know, Taylor Gabriel is another good one that you can point to at that height. Um, but that, you know, a lot of people would pigeonhole a player at five, eight into a slot role. I, but Zacchaeus, the way he plays, um, he can win on the outside too. He's just yeah. not a guy that you're going to put on the line of scrimmage and say, go beat this, you know, press coverage from this giant cornerback. Like you're going to line him up off and you're going to, you know, let him use his footwork and stuff like that to get it done. But yeah. Um, you know, lit lit the the world on fire. Uh, what he got his? I think it was his first NFL catch was for ninety three yards and a touchdown, right. um, which I think was a Falcons <laughs> record uh, as well. So you know, obviously came into some fanfare, uh, and you know has had a, a a very I think promising start to his career in terms of being utilized. You know that twenty nineteen season, he only had three catches, but you know. <laughs> because of that 93 yard catch it was 38 you know yards per reception technically so um you know legendary rookie season by that metric truly but uh yeah i mean in um in 2020 uh he did have 20 catches as a reserve receiver for Mm -hmm. 274 yards so you know that's 14 ish yards per reception um pretty good yeah Uh, so i I think there's certainly more meat on the bone there for him i I think he's a guy that's going to get some work it just depends on where they want to line him up because if he's the backup slot, you know, probably not going to get a lot of work unless Russell Gage is unable to play, which, you know, obviously we don't want that to happen. So um, that would kind of limit what he's able to do. If they are willing to use him more as an outside or sort of gadgety player, um, you know, I think that would open the door for him to be that kind of quote unquote wide receiver three. Um, And I don't think he'll be that in every package. You know, you're probably not putting Zacchaeus at outside receiver at, on goal line, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> That's why you have Tajay Sharp. You know, you don't need him to do that every single snap. So I just, I like, I like what he brings. I like, you know, it, even you could, you could say his 93 yard touchdowns a fluke, but how many players are, are getting that on their first NFL catch? I mean, I think that shows that he is special. Um, you know, maybe not special as in, oh, he's just a future hall of famer, but right. special in terms of a, an undrafted free agent that could come in and, and carve out a significant role because the team has him under exclusive control, basically for, you know, exclusive rights, free agent sort of money for the next two seasons. So mm-hmm. um, that is obviously a big help when you might be losing someone like Russell Gage to free agency next year. Yeah. And that's a, a key point. And that's why I think maybe, 
Um, he's going to see some additional snaps this year, uh, to your point. Um, I, I just don't see a scenario where Russell Gage sticks around in Atlanta um, unless he stays here on the cheap. And I, I just I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and in, in some ways, it makes sense to take advantage of these guys where you, you've got them on the cheap contracts like like Zacchaeus. But to the point I was making earlier about the Titans 2020 offense, I pulled up the stats. Well, uh, just for reference. So these are all the guys as far as tight ends and wide receivers on their roster and, and the receptions that they had in 2020. A.J. Brown uh, was number one with 70 receptions, completely expected. Number two, Corey Davis with 65 receptions. Uh, so right there with, with Brown in total receptions. Number three, uh, John U. Smith. Uh, so that would be probably Kyle Pitts. Uh, if you envision that translating over to the Falcons, he had 41 receptions. Um, Anthony Fersker, the <laughs> second tight end, had 39 receptions. And finally, at number five on the list was Adam Humphreys, who you mentioned yep. a little bit earlier, with 23 receptions. So wide receiver three was the fifth option <laughs> in yeah. the Titans offense. So uh, and if you look at that, you know, 23 receptions by Humphreys. Um, yeah. Last year, Zacchaeus, 20 receptions. Uh, yep. So right in that same sort of target. And I'm not saying that everything's going to play out identical, but I do think you can glean a little bit from uh, the type of offense that Arthur Smith is going to run. As you mentioned, I think it is going to feature a lot of uh, two tight end sets. He ran that more than any other coordinator in the NFL, uh, that 12 set single running back, two tight ends. Um, no one ran it more than Arthur Smith. And uh, given the, the tight ends we have, and I spoke you know in the previous podcast uh, with Will McFadden about the tight end position group, they've got two you know pretty good receivers uh, at the top of that <laughs> list. Um, so yeah, it, it's I think Zacchaeus could take an higher step this year, and I think uh, he's going to get the opportunity. Um, but he's also going to have to compete. And Tajay Sharp, as you mentioned, they, the Falcons brought him in. Uh, he was drafted by the Titans, so again, you know, I, I think that has to factor into into the equation. Uh, Sharp does a lot of things well. Uh, he, he is capable of running the entire route tree. Uh, I think the big problem with him is he is terrible against press coverage. Like, <laughs> he is not good at uh, creating uh, separation off the line if he gets pressed. Um, and then finally, uh, Frank Darby, who uh, big unknown uh, as far as what he has to offer. All the highlights we've seen um, have been like him, you know, basically running go routes <laughs> yeah just poking on kids i think he had like a 20 yards per reception or something silly yeah, uh back in 2019 ridiculous. yeah um so between sharp and, and darby and, and again you know darby being this wild card and sharp sort of having you know this one fundamental flaw in his game um do you see either of them like do you feel like that wide receiver three is going to sort of be a misnomer where it's it's essentially going to be wide receiver three a b and c <laughs> or is it really going to be Zacchaeus's uh, to win or lose? Or do you feel like this right now is a toss-up completely between these three guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think all three of these guys are likely to get work um, because I think they really want to see. I think, you know, as much as Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, you know, bless their hearts and are trying to convince everyone that they're we're serious about competing this year, guys. And like, I'm sure they're, they are, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I don't think they're like, going into this year saying like, oh, yeah, we have no chance. But I think, you know, realistic people are like, uh, you know, maybe we're hoping for a wild card spot, but mostly this is a like sort of evaluation sort of season to see what we have. And I think they want to see what they've got, you know, especially from someone like Darby as a rookie. 
Um, yeah. And Sharp too. You know, I, I think Sharp uh, something like a he was a day three pick at the Titans, maybe fifth round. I can't remember, but yes, um, back in like 2016, 2017, something like that. And he had, you know, some very promising seasons there. Um, I think he had like five over 500 yards in 2016. Um, and then with Arthur Smith, his best season came in 2019 where he had uh, four touchdowns, you know, 13 yards per reception on like 20 or 30 catches. Um, and, you know, was, was a good outlet, you know, kind of wide receiver three player for them. Um, didn't necessarily get much of a role in Minnesota this year and ended up getting cut, I think by the chiefs prior to, like after the draft and the Falcons scooped him up really quickly after that. But, yep. you know, like you said, he, he's big, uh, he's like six two, 200, something like that. So he he's got the size, but isn't overly physical. You know, I think he's a better route runner than most players of his size and he's got some decent juice to him, but isn't someone who's going to like muscle people in terms of press coverage. So, you know, he wins sort of in different ways than your traditional sort of big outside receiver, which is why I think, you know, he's gotten some time in the slot where he doesn't have to necessarily play on the line of scrimmage and get pressed. Um, but I, I like Sharp a lot. You know, I think that he's definitely someone who's who should make the roster just to, to give the Falcons another dimension and their wide receiver group that they don't really have outside of him. Um, but he is a little bit limited. You know, he's not a guy that you want on every single down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a, a like sort of skyscraper combination where they have Kyle Pitts, Hayden Hurst, Calvin Ridley and Tajay Sharp, you know, Sharp playing in the slot in a mm-hmm. 12 personnel package on like a third and three, you know, you've got a ton of size out there. And if you're going against a secondary that is lacking in size, you know, you're just going to, Ryan's just going to have to throw that ball up in the air. And, and one of those guys has a chance to come down with it. So yeah. I like what that presents, particularly like in short yards and red zone situations. And then, like we said with Darby, you know, we just don't know what we're going to get. He just, I mean, he pooped on people uh, in terms of his yards per reception, like 26 yards per reception in his, in his, you know, freshman year, 20 in his sophomore year and 19.9 in 2019. He didn't play much last year because of injury, but um, you know, Darby isn't necessarily like a burner either. So it's a little bit interesting that he's so, you know, prolific in terms of the deep ball. Um, But I think he's actually a pretty good route runner and, um, has good, you know, solid size, not like skyscraper size or anything like that. But uh, I think he's like a well-rounded receiver that you just kind of would like to have as a, as a sort of jack of all trades guy that does track the ball really well, does, you know, play physically at the catch point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if I, I think right now we kind of, I think we basically know who the five receivers who are going to make the roster are. And it's the guys we've talked about and everyone else is kind of just competing for practice squad spots, but yeah. Um, you know, it's a good problem to have when you have, you know, uh, this many sort of interesting receivers, you know, you would like for them to have maybe more proven NFL production, but, um, you know, I think, I think they're intriguing enough that I'm not worried about the depth chart at wide receiver, even though, you know, we're, we're still, some of these guys are question marks in terms of, can they take on a bigger role right. for an offense? So absolutely. Um, and you just brought up, uh, sort of one of the last points I want to touch on, and that is. In the past, the the past, God, uh, I, I would say eight, ten years, the Falcons have traditionally carried six wide receivers on the roster. Um, and usually that's come either at the expense of the tight end position group or running back. And uh, this year, though, it feels like this may be a year where the Falcons change the roster composition a little bit. Um I know uh, on one of the uh, Falcoholic live shows that you had myself and Aaron Freeman on, 
we talked about this and uh, you know, I had made the, the hot take that the Falcons wouldn't carry a fullback this year, uh, which, you know, I I'm, I'm only tenuously going to hold on to that position at this point. <laughs> no, that's um, set in stone. Okay. You can never go back on that. You have to go down with that take for all times. So. All right. We're going to, we're going to edge that one on my forehead for this season. Um, Sean. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but, uh, it, my thinking was, uh, the, they would continue to go with six wide receivers. But now that I'm looking at this depth chart and I'm looking at the tight end positions and I'm thinking, I can see a scenario like what I think what you and Aaron were intimating, which was um, they'll keep roughly the same number of running backs. They'll keep a fullback. Um, they'll go with four tight ends, but they may drop down to five wide receivers. Are you still in that camp at this point that uh, Arthur Smith is going to take away from the receivers to, to add that fourth tight end to the 53 man roster. I think that's the plan. I think it really depends on who is the punt returner too. Um, because I think they're going to carry, you know, that punt returner Cordero Patterson, amazing kick returner does not return punts. You know, I have no idea why uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, the skill set is a little bit different, but you know, I don't know why Coral Patterson has never really been given the opportunity to return punts. He just hasn't. So, um, so I'm expecting them to keep a separate punt returner. Um, and I think who wins that job will determine, you know, what, what this extra roster spot is. If it's, if it's Avery Williams, the, the sixth round draft pick, Mm-hmm. which is who I expect it to be, if I'm being totally honest, um, then the, that will be a sixth corner. If it's Chris Rowland or Jeff Bidette, um, that may be an excuse for them to keep that sixth wide receiver. But I think that sixth wide receiver or corner spot is sort of a quasi special team spot that they're giving to the returner. Right. Since I, since I do expect it to be Avery Williams, you know, I think that it is going to be five receivers, but I think they're playing to keep five receivers for the offense. And then, you know, there's a possibility of a sixth, but it would be for the kick for the punt returner, not necessarily as like a guy they plan to have, you know, utilized in the offense every snap or anything like that. But yeah, I think Avery Williams is the favorite just because he is really damn good as a returner. <laughs> uh, more like I, this is like the best returner I've never heard of. Uh, so if you guys haven't seen his return highlights, if you can find them, um, they're, they're, you know, crazy. I mean, Avery Williams had, I think like seven or eight return touchdowns in his career, um, including two punt and two kick returns in his senior season. Uh, I mean, he is exceptional. Um and, you know, he's a solid corner too. I mean, I, I wouldn't want him on the field necessarily this year, but uh, he can play the slot. I mean, he can, but uh, you know, I think I'd rather keep, you know, the sixth corner than the sixth wide receiver if we're going to be playing 12 personnel basically. So um, I think that's going to determine the roster, but yeah, I think five receivers is most likely what we're going to see when the dust clears. Yeah. And, and you brought up a name that I think is really interesting and probably leans into um, the, the, the idea that the Falcons may only keep, uh, five quote unquote wide receivers. That's Corderell Patterson. He is listed with the running backs and he has certainly been used as a running back uh, in his more most recent seasons. Um, but Patterson came into the league, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, as a wide receiver. Yes, he did. Uh, so I think that the Falcons envision him being used, uh, obviously in special teams, uh, in part as a running back. But I also think that. Um, he is someone that could see some snaps at wide receiver as well if, if it comes to it. Not an excessive amount because I think he he's shown that as a talent, it's easier to put the ball in his hands than to throw the ball to him. 
Um, but it, it, he's, I think, uh, potentially that guy that you sort of list as offensive weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he, he fills that quote unquote running back three and also wide receiver six role concurrently. Uh, do you feel like that's a fair assessment of how maybe the coaching staff is viewing this current roster and the construction of it? Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, knowing that you have Patterson active, means that you don't need that six receiver. You know he can step in and play for you if you need it. Like like you said, he hasn't really been much of an impact player as a receiver. I mean, he's he's been passable there. Um, and I think, you know, the Bears were, were on to something playing him more at running back. You know, the Bears, I think, didn't necessarily do it correctly. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, have a, I have a film review of Patterson on the, the Falcoholics YouTube channel, so check that out if you haven't seen that yet. But the Bears had this tendency to kind of use him as this hammer uh, which when you have Cordell Patterson with his ridiculous long speed and, you know, sort of open field moves, I don't know why the hell you're running him in between the tackles. Uh, yeah, yeah. Other than the fact that he's like 6'3", 230 pounds. So like he is massive, but like, that's not really his bread and butter. I mean, he can get you a yard, but like, that's not, you know, what I would want from him when they used him as a wide zone player, as an outside zone guy, as a sort of gadget guy, as a receiver out of the backfield. I think that is where he can really make, make it work. Um, you know, yeah. he's, he is talented catching the football. He's just not a great route technician. And he's because mm-hmm. he's huge, you know, he's an open field guy who's going to make people miss, not a guy who's going to lose you with his route savviness and his footwork and stuff like that. Um, so I, I do like the potential role we're going to see from him. You know, I don't think it's going to be a lot of snaps of him lined up, you know, in the slot or out wide, but if they need a guy to, to, to line up out there, I think that's a thing. And I think we will definitely see some, packages where he lines up in the slot for instance and then motions into the backfield to, to kind of confuse the defense that sort yeah. of thing um, I think he's a guy that someone like Arthur Smith is really going to like in terms of you can do some things with how he's aligned to really mess with the defense's calls and to really manipulate things so I think that's more of why he's here than to play specifically running back or wide receiver like you said offensive weapon someone you can use to kind of manipulate the defense and, and do some interesting matchups yeah, I'm, you mentioned it earlier. I'm envisioning a set where Arthur Smith is deploying a 12, and you've got Calvin Ridley, and in this case, you have Tajay Sharp on the other side. Uh, you've got Hayden Hurst, Kyle Pitts, and then the backfield. Uh, in, instead of Mike Davis, who's five foot nine, you have six foot three Cordero Patterson. Um, that would be one monstrous uh, set of, with five guys that are uh, all capable receivers. Um, and, and big in their own, right? Like if, if I'm, you know, some of the most corners in the league are like six foot and under like the, yeah. the, the NFL is trending more towards these big long corners, but generally, you know, historically the NFL has been about getting these corners that are fast, that have fast feet that can move quickly, sh- change direction because they have to be able to, you know, keep pace with, uh, the, these receivers in the league who are capable of changing direction quickly. Um, which means, you know, most of these guys tend to be six foot, you know, five foot 11 in that, in that range. Um, can you imagine seeing a defense line up and all of a sudden you've got those five guys as all potential receivers and like, how do you match up with that? <laughs> That's uh, I think Arthur Smith is already thinking about that and he is probably grinning from ear to ear and he's like, I'm just going to screw with these defense coordinators. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many options, you know, I, I think, I think, if they're smart, they know that this is this roster is limited. They have to kind of 
capitalize on where they have strengths. Um, and I think we've seen, you know, a real emphasis on special teams for one, um, being like, we can, we don't have a lot of money. What can we be really good at? We can be good at special teams. Like, let's yeah. go, you know, Coral Patterson, that's 3 million. We can have the best return game in the league. We can have, you know, really good special teams. So we're going to get an advantage there. It's a small advantage, but it is something we can be like, we're confident we have the best return game in the league. Um, and then they're like, we're just going to get, you know, this really ridiculous offense that we can put five guys out there in terms of the skill positions that, you know, we think your defense doesn't have enough six, one plus defensive backs to cover, to put on these guys. (laughs) And if you don't have that, we're going to line up Kyle Pitts outside and then motion him into the slot where he has to get taken on by the slot corner because it's, it looked like 11 personnel, but then we switch things around and now it's Kyle Pitts on the five ten slot corner. And we're just going to throw a slant and we're going to eat that eight yards every play until you figure out what to do about it. And, um, you know, I think unlike Dirk Cutter's system, um, Arthur Smith system is all about finding the matchup and finding yeah. the, the guy that's going to be the most likely target the guy that's going to have success the one that's going to be in the favorable matchup to, to make the play easier and that's I think why you know I think Ryan Tannehill certainly showed that you know he's a good quarterback but look Arthur Smith's offense was like you don't have to do anything like we're gonna manipulate oh, the yeah. defense so you know who to go to and you just have to hit it and I think Matt Ryan is 100% capable of executing that he can hit it um, he can read it you know I, I think this system is going to benefit everyone. Um, and it's why I think, you know, we're going to see this offense be a lot better, even if the the passing, like the passing volume is not going to be as high. I think the running volume is going to be higher. And I don't think the run game is going to be elite or anything, but the efficiency I think uh, is going to be a big change. And, you know, yes. the wide receivers they have that we've talked about, I think are a big part of that. These are guys that offer a lot of different skill sets, offer a variety of ways they can win. And I think that they have enough pieces to kind of, manipulate and and game plan for the specific defense they're playing instead of just trotting out guys and saying you know beat your man like their cutter they're gonna they're going to game plan for the defense they have to play and they're gonna have the pieces to sort of get favorable matchups against just about all but the best nfl defenses and hopefully that's enough <laughs> to sort of carry them because i don't think the falcons defense is going to be particularly good but you know, based on what we heard today they're gonna you know rush getting off the bus so they're coming, you know, with pressure. So you're just going to have to figure it out. And, you know, there's a lot of offenses that can figure it out, but um, at least the Falcons are going to make their life hell by sending, you know, look, if, if they're going to, you know, get beat rushing six guys, every play, you know, at least that's going to be fun to watch. So a hundred percent. And uh, we, we, we talked a lot about um, the fact that it's so funny in recent days, um, recent weeks, it feels like, the you know a lot of people across the league are starting to take shots at Arthur Smith when yeah what the hell man <laughs> I don't know like he was literally you know when we had um, uh, Mina Kimes on the podcast a, a few months ago she basically said like look you know of the top candidates that were out there like Robert Sala was considered one of the top ones but she's like easily Arthur Smith was one of the top two guys from a coaching standpoint that anyone would have been happy to uh, bring on as head coach. And now I don't understand, you know, NFL can be very funny. I will say this, and we're going to have to do this on another podcast because (laughs) I I feel like it's a conversation itself, but um, and I know you did something similar, Kevin. I watched every single uh, Titans uh, game from 2020, went back and watched it on uh, NFL game pass and uh, to your point. And I think this is something that fans are going to love seeing number one, um, this guy knows how to manipulate the defense. Um, 
the the way he would move receivers, his you know his use of pre snap movement. Gosh, what's that? You know, Dirt Cutter was last in the league. Oh my god, dude! I I think that um, he was either top three or top four. Um, Arthur Smith was for pre snap mm-hmm. movement in the league last year, and there is a direct correlation between offensive success. And pre-snap, the use of pre-snap movement. We talked about it all last year, in fact, in our Falcoholic chat. Um, He does that a lot. And I cannot tell you, I lost count the number of times where I saw defenders in the opposing secondary literally looking at at each other, trying to figure out whose assignment was who um, before the snap. And uh, numerous times I saw uh, red zone packages where Tannehill didn't have just one option to throw to. He had like two or three guys that he had as, as viable open passes in the red zone. So um, yeah, I, I think these wide receivers, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion around them during training camp, but I, I think we're also underestimating because we've seen for the past two years, what poor coaching can do and and how that can make your talent look less efficient uh, than they may actually be. I think what Arthur Smith is going to, to do with these guys, with a guy like Cordero Patterson, with guys like Alameda Zacchaeus, is going to be an underrated aspect of the turnaround. It's not purely about talent. It, I think we, we've got some of the guys that can be successful, but I think if you guys go and watch what Arthur Smith did in Tennessee, uh, you'll see that uh, he knows how to deploy guys. And uh, I feel very confident in saying that. And there's a lot of people who – spend a lot more time watching film than uh, any of us have the time for who are very bullish on what Arthur Smith can do uh, with this Falcons offense. So any final thoughts on that, Kevin, as we, we wrap up this podcast? Yeah. I mean, I I think we're going to see, um, I think, you know, if we're being completely honest here, we're going to see just how big of a difference coaching makes. Um, And like it, it, it can be overrated at times, but I think going from, a guy who I believe was a bottom five offensive coordinator and Dirk Cutter to, I think one of the top five in Arthur Smith is going to be a big factor mm-hmm. and like losing Julio Jones is going to hurt things. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to see a drop off because of that, but like, I think it's going to be overcome by the fact that look, Arthur Smith was the NFL's top red zone coordinator two years in a row. I mean, right. 75% red zone. That is I mean, that is absurd yeah. production. Um, you, you said in our chat as well, he didn't do yeah. that one year. No, he did that two straight <laughs> years. Yes. Um, and like a lot of people are like, oh, it's Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry didn't score more than a third of those touchdowns. So, you know, it, it's not just Derrick Henry. I mean, obviously it would be nice to have Derrick Henry. Sure. But um, I, I think he's really savvy with the matchups. He's not going to sit there and let the defense dictate anything to him. Um, he's going to, to move things around as much as he can. And look, he's not perfect. I mean, I think, um, you know, tech, uh, Titans fans will tell you, like there was a little too much reliance on the run, particularly yeah. on early downs. You know, I think they were very run heavy early. They did run the ball a fair amount on second and 10, but again, they had freaking Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry so it's right. like, <laughs> you know, he's a threat to break off a touchdown. Every time he touches the ball, if he breaks two tackles, he's gone because he's a special player. So, you know, It'll be different in Atlanta. I think Mike Davis will be fine, um, but I don't think we're going to see the reliance on the run game that they had in Tennessee. I think they're going to be more pass heavy. Um, and I think, you know, look, it's up to Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, how quickly can he can he acclimate? Can he be this dominant threat, this, this matchup nightmare at both, you know, outside receiver and, you know, as a tight end um, and how quickly he can turn into that? Because if he hits the ground running, 
and he can start dominating people from day one. I mean, I don't think there's any question this is going to be a top 10 offense. It just, we just don't know, you know, what's going to happen yet. There's a lot, there's a lot of football to go in training camp and preseason and all this before we get to see anything, but you can have all the questions you want with the defense. I think the defense is a total question mark and it's probably not going to be very good no matter what. I mean, Dean Pease, you know, bless his heart. He's going to be trying his damnedest to, to get something out of that unit. And I think it'll be more competent than we've seen, but um, you know, they're going to be depending on this offense to win them games. And I think that if it goes right, I think they will. I think they'll win a lot of games with the offense and that's what the NFL is today. I think people overrate defense now um, yeah, because yep. if you score 25, 30 points a game, you're going to be in eight, nine wins because it's a have and have nots league with offense. And if you can score enough, you're going to be competitive. And if you can't score enough, you're going to be bad. I don't care how good your defense is. So, yeah. um, you know, the offense is more important. I think the Falcons finally realize that. And I think that's going to start paying dividends immediately. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm with you. I, I do think long-term, uh, the Falcons are going to have to look at this, uh, the, the depth at the wide receiver position, since that's, uh, you know, rounding back to the original uh, podcast focus. I, I do think <laughs> they're going to have to continue to invest in the position or, you know, continue to bring in those undrafted guys that yeah, offer some yeah. potential and, and try to, you know, uh, um, you know, mature them through the years as, as they yeah, did yeah. with you know, Zacchaeus. No, I got, uh, I got a name for fans to watch. Okay. If you're into you know, college, uh, Drake London, uh, big nasty wide receiver um i think that is a guy you know he, he doesn't necessarily have the whole toolkit um and he's not necessarily a burner and we know those guys if you don't have that four four speed you know teams generally are shying away from you in the first round as a day two guy drake london as a compliment to calvin ridley that's a name to watch uh this season as a potential target for the Falcons on day two next year. So keep that one in mind, folks. I like it. Uh, already getting into, of course, the draft. <laughs> Early country. draft takes, you know, not, <laughs> not draft takes is because the team is terrible. Just because, you know, you know, shout out to uh locked on NFL draft. They do great work over there. And uh, they've been doing their summer scouting series where they've been going over prospects. And that name was one who that stood out to me from, from players they mentioned as skyscraper guy, very, very good possession receiver. The Falcons don't really have that now with Julio gone. Um, you know, great potential compliment to Calvin Ridley. So we'll, we'll see how the season works out and where he ends up going. Because if he's a first round guy, which, you know, if he plays really well, he could be, you know, not really someone they're going to look at. But if he's, you know, more like a day two guy, day two, yeah. that opens the door. So we'll see. They have two seconds and a third at this point. So, yep. Uh, excellent. Excellent point. Um, all right. So with that, uh, Kevin, remind our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on. Yeah, guys, I'm at Falcola Kevin. I'm in Atlanta uh, this week for training camp. Uh, you know, for COVID reasons, uh, we can't all get in every day. So I uh, wasn't at practice the first day. Probably not going to be there the second day, but I will be there this weekend and next week as well. So look out for some um, you know, official training camp stuff from me. Um, and then the Fal- the show that I, I do is the Falcoholic Live. That's at Falcoholic Live on Twitter. And it's the Falcoholic's YouTube page, which if you just go to YouTube and you know type in the Falcoholic, uh, you will find that pretty easily. So check that out, guys. Thank you. Yep. As for you guys, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Kevin Knight, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.